This is the new way we work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kate Davis. The labor market has been on a bit of a roller coaster in the last few years. From the over 20 million jobs that were lost in 2020 in the earliest days of the pandemic to the recovery and labor shortages that followed the Great Resignation, which at its peak in 2021 saw 4.5 million workers quitting their jobs in a single month. In 2021 and 2022, the power balance had shifted in a historic way in the employees' favor. With a tight labor market and the new awakening to what was broken in the way we had been working, employees were winning in pay and flexibility, and support for labor unions increased to 71% higher than any time since 1965. But by the end of the year, with worries of a looming recession, the vibe started to shift again. And now, just two months into 2023, we've seen layoffs at several major tech and media companies, including 11,000 jobs lost at Meta, aka Facebook, late last year, 18,000 jobs at Amazon, and 12,000 jobs at Google's parent company, Alphabet. So are employees fated to lose all the ground they gained? Is this the end of the empowered worker? You can't say that the age of the empowered employee is totally over. In some ways, there are like certain pressures being exerted upon employees. Um, and in other ways, you know, employees are organizing and thinking critically about kind of what they want in this moment of work. With the pandemic, there's been this real reckoning about, you know, what role work should play in our lives. And you can't unring bells to some extent. That's Fast Company senior editor Julia Herbst. She's the editor of the Work Life section, and she recently wrote an article looking at whether employees are still feeling as empowered and in control of their careers as they did a year ago. Julia and I have been covering these changes in the work landscape closely these last few years, so we wanted to dissect exactly what's happening right now and what it means for what's coming next. I asked her, with the recent layoffs and the possibility of a looming recession, how much has the employer-employee power dynamic shifted? With the constant news of layoffs and the months of news about a looming recession, it feels like there's been like a change in the atmosphere around employee-employee power dynamic. Before we like get into it, let's do kind of like, for lack of a better word, like a vibe check on like how much has the power balance really shifted? Like what are people feeling right now? What's going on in this weird time? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a vibe check. I love a vibe check. I think it's a weird time, right? We're seeing all of these headlines about layoffs. I think there's a lot of fear, um, you know, kind of general economic insecurity in the air and, you know, inflation isn't really helping with any of that. Um, that sort of contrasts with the fact that, you know, we've actually added a lot of jobs, like more than 500,000 jobs were added in January. And so the U.S. is at like a really low unemployment rate right now. But that doesn't necessarily mean it feels that way, I think. I and mean, especially certain industries like the tech industry have been really impacted. The vibe you might be feeling sort of depends on what metrics you're looking at, what industry you're in. But I think altogether, it just kind of combines to make employees feel like maybe they don't have the power to ask for things that they might have felt they had a year or so ago when, you know, the great resignation was in full effect and companies were kind of desperate to retain their employees. Yeah, that's it's really interesting because it does feel like 
a little bit of it or maybe a lot of it is not based on data and facts. It's it's more of the feeling in the air and mm-hmm. sometimes even just the the headlines that you see everywhere. So like everybody's seeing these headlines of Meta cut 11,000 jobs, Twitter cut this many jobs, Amazon cut this many jobs of like, oh God, everybody's getting laid off for, for those of us who have lived through and worked through other recessions and other downturns and other layoff cycles. You have that like, past trauma of, oh God, this is happening again. Contrast that to like what we were seeing a year ago, two years ago when it's like employees have the upper hand, you know, bosses can't find people to work for them. Like the great recession, everyone's quiet quitting, everyone's resigning. And whether or not the numbers back it up, it's kind of a feeling that, do you feel like it's like a feeling that dictates then what people do? And it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit? Yeah, I think that's probably true on both like the employee side and the kind of employer leader side of things. Um, You know, I think we're also in this strange period where a lot of companies are trying to go back to some version of what things were pre-pandemic. So lots of people, lots of companies are bringing people back to the office part-time and some even full-time. There have been a lot of announcements of that. So I think in some ways, all of that sort of combines to make workers feel like oh, like all of this freedom and flexibility that I had during the pandemic is challenging as it was, you know, and obviously the pandemic is still going on. But like at the height of the pandemic, all of those things are sort of gone now. And, you know, it's back to how things used to be when I didn't feel like I could ask for certain things or, you know, take a break halfway through the day to pick my kid up if I needed to, or, you know, any of those sorts of flexible work arrangements or um, benefits that companies were kind of rolling out in order to try to entice workers to stick around. You know, all those are gone now. I want to dig into that a little bit more of like kind of how bosses are using that to their advantage, the the vibe shift, whether or not it's true. But I think we kind of quickly went over something that we wrote a headline about it, you know, recently, like despite what you may think, like it's the strongest job market, the lowest unemployment rate that we've had in, in 50 years. So we're at this kind of like confusing economic moment, right? It's like, all the headlines about layoffs, but yet the job market is actually really strong. Mm-hmm. The, the number is 517,000 jobs were added in January. That's like despite all of the layoffs, that many more jobs were added. And the unemployment rate is the lowest it's been since 1969. Yeah. Can you kind of break down why there's like such a misalignment? I mean, we talked about it a little bit. It's a little bit just like the headlines you're seeing, it's a little bit confusing, but like, why is there this like misalignment between public perception and reality? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things are going on. Obviously, like big tech companies get a lot of headlines when they make layoffs and you don't always necessarily get the context that, you know, many more people were hired in the lead up to this. You know, a lot of these companies had big hiring sprees that they went on before. Um, So even if they've laid a number of people off, it's still like a net positive of people employed. You're totally right. You don't see headlines like Meta just hired 10,000 people because it doesn't happen in like a giant, you know, they don't hire 10,000 people at once. They lay off 11,000 people at once. And so then that's what you hear. And yeah. It's also like, you know, the vast majority of workers do not work in big tech. Yes. (laughs) So even though, you know, that might be what's garnering headlines, there are a lot more people employed, you know, small businesses and, you know, other types of major companies that just aren't tech. I think another thing, you know, we hear a lot about tech workers being laid off. It's really hard for many of them, but tech workers do generally find jobs quickly. You know, they're highly skilled workers. So right now, even if they're not necessarily being hired by like another 
big tech company or a tech startup even, they might be able to find jobs pretty quickly doing tech work in other fields, right? If you're in healthcare, you still need tech workers, right, to support that type of work. So the research shows that tech workers actually find jobs really quickly. They often are well-paying jobs. And then it's actually there are a lot of open positions for tech workers right now. So even though it may feel scary, the good news, I think, is if you are a laid-off tech worker, odds are definitely in your favor. Those are really important things to kind of underline because you do just see, you know, it feels really scary seeing tens of thousands of people being laid off. But yeah, you're not seeing the the other thing, which which is the the balance and even kind of tips the scales in the other way, that there's still a lot of open positions, that the people that are being laid off are are the types of workers that are, you know, can find jobs more easily. So you wrote in your article that employers are kind of using this vibe shift as leverage to to force, for instance, return to office mandates and scale back benefits. Can you talk a little more about like what, you know, kind of maybe opportunistic things that management or, or leadership is doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I think there are like a lot of reasons why employers might want employees to come back to the office. I definitely don't think it's 100% explained by this shift that's happening. But I do think that if there's a feeling that, you know, the average employee is maybe more concerned about keeping their job, it could be easier to entice them to come back to an office setting, or you might not have to be offering, you know, full-time, remote, full, flexible work in order to retain workers or to entice new people to work for your company. So I think it's definitely happening. And we have seen that there is this sort of gap between how the average employee might feel about returning to office and the average uh, manager or, like, high-level leader that, you know, a lot of people want to come into the office with some frequency, but not necessarily, you know, nine to five, five days a week. Most people want that flexibility. And I think it's hard to unring the bell of having offered that to employees during the height of the pandemic and to say, like, sure, you were able to do your work fully remotely or mostly remotely, but actually now we need you sitting at your desk from nine to five. Like, that's that's a hard sell. Um, and so I think some leaders are sort of using this moment to kind of push for that um, you know, despite what their employees are hoping for. And it's hard to, you know, and we've written about this too, like it's hard to explain or justify it too. If you've done your job for three years or two and a half years or however long remotely and you've done well, we've written about like bosses really have the onus on them, right? To make the case for like why the heck you're in the office. Like what is yeah. the purpose of being there? Not just like doing the exact same work that you're doing at home, but yet you're doing it around other people. The other thing that you mentioned is that that there's also kind of a pulling back of benefits, right? So there was a, a time when it was the great resignation and we were trying to entice workers to come work for companies and we were offering them a lot of perks and some of them, you know, are very eye-rolly, like the free lunches and the mandatory fun and <laughs> stuff are not, <laughs> as we've covered extensively, what and, you know, employees care about, but are there other ways that companies are kind of quietly or not so quietly rolling back the the benefits? Yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously a huge range in terms of what companies are doing. And I think some of them probably are feeling like if you offered something like some type of mental health benefit or some other benefit that you thought was very important in the pandemic, it's pretty hard to roll that back. You know, employees are going to notice and, you know, if you thought it was important in 2020, why wouldn't it also be important in 2023? But I do think that there are some kind of worrying signs in terms of, you know, companies feeling like they don't have to offer as many benefits. There's this one 2022 study from the Society for Human Resource Management that I cite in the piece. Um, and it's looking at kind of the reduction of how organizations are offering like additional maternity leave beyond the legal minimum and additional paternity leave. 
And the study shows that it dropped from 53% um, in 2020 to 35% in 2022. That's companies that are offering extra maternity leave beyond the legal minimum. And for paternity leave, it fell from 44% of companies offering it in 2020 all the way down to 27% in 2022. So definitely these sort of small clawbacks are happening. But, you know, that has a huge impact on, you know, the average employee's experience. And that's a really a big misalignment on what employees want. I mean, those sorts of benefits were extended because that is, you know, we've covered, again, like we've covered it extensively, the things that people want, the benefits that people want, unsurprisingly, are, of course, salary, but also flexibility, paid time off, like those sorts of things. And so obviously, companies were smart to add those to entice workers. But yeah, the kind of pulling back of it is is really misaligned with what employees want. However, is that sort of thing working? Like you, you know, you, so you cite in your, your article, of course, <laughs> you reference, uh, reference Elon Musk's authoritarian management approach, which really is like a case study in like how not to be a boss. <laughs> but, you know, there was also that, that Wall Street Journal article that you mentioned that, you know, the bosses are back in charge and it has examples of how like upper management is trying to claim more control. From your reporting, do you think there's this feeling, this vibe of a, a power shift is genuine and that, that bosses this kind of emboldened position that they feel that they're in, that they can pull these benefits back, that they can force people back to the office? Like, is it working? Do you think it'll work? Yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously like a full range of employers. So certainly not all employers are reacting to this moment like Elon Musk. Yes, I know. I know. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be like all bosses evil. But, yeah. <laughs> right. But I, I definitely think that some, you know, folks are going to use this opportunity to exert power. And I think there's, you know, sort of the danger that when there are folks like Elon Musk out there doing kind of the most extreme thing, then other leaders, you know, privately think, oh, look, like he got away with that. I can do like a more modest version of that. You know, I'm, not everyone is rolling out, you know, beds in offices <laughs> to try to get employees to work, you know, You, you must be extreme ex- what was it, extremely hardcore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do think it's sort of that type of behavior opens the door for other, you know, problematic behavior from bosses. You know, I was talking um, with the JP Gounder and he's a vice president and principal analyst at Forrester's future of work team. And they told me that it kind of moves the CEO over to window, right, in terms of what CEOs might think that they can get away with, right, or like acceptable CEO behavior. So I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah, that like, he can get away with it. So maybe I can get away with a like, less evil version of this. Oh, God. Um, but you know, the, the kind of as like a counterpoint to that idea is, is also the idea that the you know, to the idea that the the power has shifted back to the the box. The ugh. counterpoint to the idea that the power has kind of shifted back to bosses, or that they can kind of get away with more. You highlight in your your piece the increasing support for labor unions. And last year, I talked to labor journalist Kim Kelly on the show about kind of the current state of labor unions. And you know, right now we are at like the lowest labor union participation in the last several decades. However, we are seeing the like biggest labor union support. Can you explain why you think union organization efforts at workplaces will play into this kind of new era that we're in? Mm -hmm. So as you said, you know, interest in in joining unions is is high right now, especially among, you know, younger Gen Z and younger millennial folks. Like there's there's definitely a lot of support for it. 
I spoke with Jennifer Schur, who's from the Economic Policy Institute, and she was sort of talking about the role that unions can play during, you know, periods of economic uncertainty and layoffs. You know, they obviously can play a big role in terms of protecting workers. And also, it's very likely that workers could organize, you know, with the help of a union around topics like returning to work or benefits or any of these sorts of things that are on the table and, you know, where there is a big gap between how management feels about something and, you know, how the average worker feels. It seems like a counterpoint to, you know, the bosses are back in charge, but it really kind of is a, it goes hand in hand, right? As soon as, as soon as workers feel that, you know, the benefits that they have enjoyed or the, the work environment that they were happy with is in, is either threatened or is changing, that's prime time that employees will start to think about organizing. And it's just a, a nice little aside that as we're recording this episode, Tesla's workers are working to organize themselves. So it's like Elon Musk's management tactics obviously put kind of that catalyst into into their minds as well. Yeah, that's why I think it's like, you know, you can't say that like the age of the empowered employee is totally over, right? Like in some ways there are like certain pressures being exerted upon employees um, and in other ways, you know, employees are organizing and thinking, you know, critically about kind of what they want in this moment of work. You know, I think with the pandemic, there's been this real reckoning about what role work should play in our lives. And, uh, you know, I think I said before, you can't unring bells to some extent, right? Like once people have the flexibility and, you know, um, the sort of opportunity to make decisions about how they organize their lives, it's pretty hard to take that away, I think. Exactly to that point, you know, is once is employees started to see what, what work could be, what bosses were capable of giving them maybe if they offered this benefit. It's really hard to, as you say, unring the bell. It's really hard to take the things back once you have them. You know, once you've worked from home and done your job successfully, once you've had flexibility and still can do your job, it's hard to just like change it back and say, no, 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 we have to go back to, you know, we say it on the show all the time, you know, (laughs) like we can't go back to 2019. Mm -hmm. It's so weird that in 2023, we're you know, there are still people trying to go back to 2019. Definitely. I think like just because you can maybe have more leverage to force somebody back into the office, right? Um, You know, get them to show up in a place, those sorts of things. Like it doesn't mean that you're going to have an engaged or productive employee, right? Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, employee engagement is still like really important in this conversation. It hasn't gone anywhere. Well, yeah. And, you know, on the, the topic of employee engagement, you know, we cover that a lot. We cover burnout. We cover management advice and the kind of the future of work all of the time. Where do you think we're going from here from a, you know, employee and management power perspective, but also just how can employees and managers get on the same page? Because it does feel kind of more adversarial right now than it maybe has in the era of the Great Resignation where where things were felt like they were maybe moving in a better direction. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would just emphasize that I still think, you know, employee engagement is super important and that I think if you are a leader and you want a, you know, high-performing, successful workforce, you need to be understanding what the sort of pain points are for your employees, how they feel about certain things. And I think to your point, you need to be kind of justifying why you are asking employees to do certain things. So it's not to say like, you know, all companies should be remote. Nobody should ever be forced back into the office or something, right? There are times and places where it makes sense for employees to gather. And I think the data shows that employees are fine with that when it feels like their time is valued and, you know, what they're doing is valuable in an office. So I think it's, you know, whether you're talking about offices or benefits, it's about kind of 
asking what employees need and, you know, coming up with a compromise that works for the business and for the employees. And I think it's important, too, to kind of underline that it's not just like employees asking management for these things and management like deciding to be you know, nice and give it to them. You know, employee engagement isn't this like mushy, soft thing. It's a very hard business cost item. You know, and we've covered this a lot too. And I think, you know, I'm sure I've mentioned it before. If you have high employee turnover, that's real cost to your business. The amount of money and time it takes to replace somebody. And we've covered before that if you have burnout, if you have low employee engagement, if you're you're having these things, it's a little less so of, are we going to lay off a bunch of people to save costs and a little more so of how the hell are we going to entice workers to come? How are we going to replace them? How are we going to keep them happy? Yeah, I think morale is like a really important component of that. And I also think, you know, employers need to be thinking about sort of the long term game. Like it may be very tempting to lay off folks in the same way that, you know, you see other similar companies doing. Obviously, that's, you know, how these sorts of waves of employment go. But I think, you know, a good leader is thinking in the long term and thinking about kind of how they're going to set themselves up for success, you know, not like two months from now, um, but in the longer term in terms of like keeping, you know, loyal, productive and, you know, engaged employees around. That's a great point. It's like short term cost savings. If you're just looking at it from a purely numbers perspective, short term cost savings of laying off people are going to have a longer term effect on how you're able to do business. Yeah, are you desperately going to be trying to hire people, you know, a year from now? (laughs) And did you burn up all of your goodwill because you've, you know, created... I mean, that's the thing, too. In a high-profile case like Elon Musk, like, I don't know who wants to work for him, quite honestly. You know, it does seem like the, the only people that remain either maybe share his ethos or, you know, and we've covered this, too, are on work visas and, you know, have no other choice. But is that the sort of, you know, workforce that you that you want? Yeah. And to your point about, you know, having the same ethos or something like that, I don't think that's like a long term sustainable way to build a company. If you're only catering toward one type of employee, think about all of the talent that you're missing out on. Oh, for sure. If you take a hard line on on any of these issues, you're going to take a hard line on everybody must be in the office. You're missing out on talent that lives not in a commutable distance to your office or has other reasons why they can't or don't want to be in the office all the time. Yeah, working parents, lots of reasons. People who can't afford to, <laughs> to live in New York City or San Francisco. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a big group. Yeah. Julia, thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, talking through these these topics that we're thinking about and talking about all the time. Thanks so much for having me. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we want to hear from you. How have you reevaluated your relationship with work over the past year? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag The New Way We Work. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen with editing by Nicholas Torres. 